I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, guys. Hope you're well. We're back again with another installment of the Beautiful Game podcast and Eurosport collaboration, bringing you our thoughts and views of the round of fixtures in the Champions League. As ever, I'm joined by Dot, Dej, and also Pete from Eurosport. How's it going, gents? Very well. Good. All good, all good. Great stuff. Right, so uh, let's kick things off. Of course, this was the, the second leg of this round, uh, and the winners are going to be going through to the, to the quarterfinals. So um, we're going to kick things off with the Chelsea game. I think that was uh, sort of the biggest result uh, of this round of fixtures. And we're going to kick things off with, with you, um, Pete. Um, Chelsea have, have obviously won the tie and they're through to the quarterfinals. Um, I think the, the general consensus and feeling is that Atletico didn't really turn up. Um, and it wasn't the, the, the Atletico that we've... Uh, you know, come to, to to know in recent seasons in terms of, you know, just how uh, dominant they can be and, and streetwise they can be. We, we didn't really see any of that come to the fore in, in, in this tie, did we? Yeah, this, this I think the first leg, we talked about this um, obviously a few weeks ago, and I think that obviously they were missing a lot of players. And I think Diego Simeone got his tactics wrong. I actually thought for the first 20 minutes of this game, they actually looked good. They looked like they come with a purpose. They knew what they were doing. And I actually think Simeone got his tactics right. But... Tuchel was more spot on. And if there was any doubt left that Chelsea had made the right decision in sacking Frank Lampard to bring in Thomas Tuchel, that should be gone now because this was a tactical masterclass for the second time in a row against one of the best managers in Europe. And Tuchel is getting something out of these players that Lampard wasn't getting. He's using a lot... Okay, some of the players have come in, like Marcus Alonso or whatever, but he's using a lot of the same players and he's using a system that actually... Lampard used to great benefit after the post-COVID lockdown break last season, the three-at-the-back system. But it's just working so much better. He's obviously found a way to use Kai Havertz effectively. Lampard didn't seem to know what to do with him. And I just think that when people talk about the differences between managers at the top level, this is the game that shows it. Because this, these are two of the best managers in Europe and Tuchel looked a class apart. He completely outmatched Simeone. And I think... Chelsea are now, we spoke last week about teams you don't want to face. Chelsea are a team you don't want to face. That's a really, really interesting point, Pete, because one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, I mean, of, of course, if we look at things from an overall perspective, it was an absolute masterclass from Tuchel. But are, are Simeone and Atleti right to feel aggrieved at the decision not to, war, to award the penalty on Carrasco? Because 
just looking at the context of the game, had they scored that penalty, it would have changed the complexion of the game entirely. Yes, it was a penalty. It, it, you, there was no doubt that you could give that as a penalty. It was, mm. as I think the commentary said, it's about, I think it was Glenn Hoddle, it's about the intent. The intent was there. Aspelicueta held out his hand and he deliberately grabbed Carrasco's shirt to bring him down. It was definitely a penalty. But it, I, I just don't think that Atletico showed enough regardless. They still would have either need, they'd either would have needed to keep Chelsea out or they would have needed to score a second goal. And I don't think either of those things were going to happen. After those first 15, 20 minutes, as I said, they just sort of shut down a little bit. And I mean, for everything good that he's done this year, I thought Luis Suarez was so disappointing over these two games. He's been so great this year. And he's brought something to Atletico that they haven't had since prime Diego Costa. And I think that, I don't know what it is. And I don't know what, it, maybe he's just knackered because he's obviously getting on a bit and he's played a lot of games and he's worked hard for what he's been doing for them. But they just didn't have any bite up front. And mm. I think the Chelsea back line got a lot of praise, rightly so. But really, they weren't made to work that hard. There was a couple of moments, obviously, that Jao Felix ran into the box that caused a bit of panic. And then late on, they had a few chances, but the game was gone then. And I just, I don't know. I just, I think Atletico is still, despite this, and I know it sounds weird, I still think they're moving in the right direction because I can see what Simeone is trying to do. He's trying to change them a bit. But it's clear that this is going to take more than a season or two um, mm. just because of the way they're so ingrained in terms of sitting deep, controlling games, catching people on the counter. They're, lear- they're having to learn a different style almost. And I think, I think it's going to take them a while, but obviously for Chelsea, like the flip side, I guess, from that argument is that they've learned a different style in what, two months and they look set to go. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what, Dej, I wanted to come to you and I wanted to ask you this question because Pete raised a good point about, um, you know, potentially any potentially there being any doubt around the the sacking of Lampard and the appointment of Tuchel. Is it oh, is it fair for for us to say at this point that he's turned their fortunes around, or is it premature to say that you know he he's come in, he's got you know the the the, the team playing in the way that he wants them to, and he is delivering something that Lampard wouldn't have been able to do. Is, is, that, is it fair to say at this point in stage? Yeah, I think it's fair that he's turned around their fortunes, to be honest. 13 games now, conceding two goals in that period. And for me, it's the style of play. Chelsea are monopolising the ball. They've got an identity now. And when you listen to the players talk in press conferences, after games, they talk about Tuchel being very tactically advanced, having different ways to break down defences. And... I think the clearer sign of that is bringing the group together. Mm. Under Frank Lampard, there was a lot of talk and chat about he made this player outcast. Marcus Alonso, Anthony Rudiger as well being the outcast. And if you see their performances today, you can see that these are players that had something to offer under Lampard, but were cast aside. And I think Rudiger's performance for me stood out. Like He really reveled in being that villain today. You can see him like sort of being overly aggressive with Lorente, you know, getting Savage sent off. Was that a red card? I'm not sure. No, no <laughs> to the mid- elbow to the midriff. Yeah, but he enjoyed it. Like he enjoyed tapping yeah, his head, him and Zuma. So I think Tuchel has shown that. Listen, like there's levels in management, and obviously Lampard might well go on to have a stellar career, but Tuchel is a manager that improves players, and Chelsea needed a manager that improved players. So it was the perfect time and the perfect marriage, to be honest. 
A hundred percent. And you know what, Dot? I remember uh, after the first leg, the question I asked you was, do Chelsea have enough to navigate the fact that both Jorginho and Mason Mount wouldn't be playing and, and would miss this game? And obviously you, you, you mentioned the fact that they, they've invested and, they, and they've, they've strengthened the team in areas to allow them to be able to, to rotate. And I think particularly for the goal, the fact that it was three players that have come under a lot of scrutiny this season who combines to, to, to score that goal, um, you know, in, in Werner, in Havertz and in uh, Hakim Ziyech. You know, how, how important do you think that, that goal was for, for them in terms of their, their confidence? And, and is, it, is it something for them to build on going forward from this point? Definitely. When you see the front three linking up, it's always a positive sign. But I think, in my opinion, that's not the problem with Chelsea when it comes to the front three. If they have space and time and, you know, the ability to counter-attack, they're going to be dangerous because they're good players. But I want to talk about Atletico Madrid because I'm very, 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 very disappointed with their performance over the two legs. And today I saw a real ineptitude from Diego Simeone when it comes to being able to play on the front foot because you're 1-0 down, you've got nothing to lose, go out and strut strut your stuff. And when I saw them getting the ball in the midfield, they were really passive. I think Koke and Sal were really, really poor in the midfield. Kante and Kovacic really bossed the game. And I think when, when I look at the subs, it was basically lucky dip. Let me just bring on any single attacker that I have on the bench and let me just try and turn this game around. And if it does, wow, what a miracle. But I didn't see any real patterns to their play or any real method to the madness. And I think the last thing I'll say on this game is Jao Felix should be on the phone to his agent tomorrow morning saying, listen, get me out of this club because I need to play for a club that's going to be competing for a Champions League trophy. Mm, to be I, fair, I it's, it's good. To be oh. fair, it's almost like they accepted defeat. Like they were playing in a passive manner in that second half. There was no real urgency. And I think Pete was a bit harsh on Luis Suarez, <laughs> to be honest, because... He was physically and mentally dominated by Rudiger and Zuma. And he was cut off from the game. He hasn't got his speed. like, And Simeone's system is not conducive to Luis Suarez, in my opinion, in the Champions League, in that system, the way they played, because he was shut out of the game. Yeah, and they're just playing straight lines. When you see them get the ball in the midfield, there's no penetration, there's no progressive passing. They only look dangerous once Jao Felix got the ball. And if you nullify him out of the game, they ain't really got anything left. But to be fair to Kieran Trippier, I think he played a decent game coming back, you know, from his ban. Mm. I think he did play well. He can hold his mm. head up high. But players like Lodi, Sal, Koke, I'm very, very disappointed. And I think it just wasn't good enough today and over the two legs. Can I talk about Angola Gante for a minute? Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> no, no. But I remember when Tuchel came in and you saw some people start to suggest that some reports came out that maybe Kante would get moved on, maybe he wouldn't fit in. I, I just, there is no midfielder in the world who can do what he does. And every single season, he gets better with the ball at his feet. And I just think if you're, if, you, if any kid's watching it, you just need to watch Kante play the game because his head is everywhere. I know they always talk about Sergio Busquets and the way that he moves his head to make sure he knows what's happening. But Kante does it in the other sense. Rather than starting attacks, he breaks them up. Like, I know, I think someone on Twitter, I think it was Felipe Claire said on Twitter tonight about how everyone talks about how Kante is everywhere. And he's, Claire's point is that he's not everywhere. Like he's just so intelligent that he reads the game and he's where he needs to be. And that is exactly it. Obviously his stamina is world-class and it gets him to where he needs to be. 
but he knows where the danger is coming and he's got it is a sixth sense he actually knows where passes are going to go and where they where he needs to be to break them up because we were like everyone who's played the game every time you've done any kind of training session or warm-up for a game you've done like pig in the middle or rondo like you've just done that yeah. in, after a while it can get insanely hard but every time there's a little two on three or three on two situation in a corner on the side of the pitch kante is there and kante knows where the ball is going and he sticks out a leg at the right time every time it is astonishing and i cannot i cannot believe there are still people out there who think that he needs to move on for whatever reason like he is without like without a doubt if chelsea are going to win anything this year be that fa cup or champions league he will be a primary factor in that he is the last two three games he has been unbelievable yeah, 100%. Got to agree with you on that one, Pete, certainly. I think, you know, it, it might have been a combination of, of a lot of different things, injuries and, and, and you know, not having a, um, you know, a straight run in the team for some time that, that, that caused some of the, the questions that were surrounding his name. But I think certainly his performances of late have, have shown that, you know, he, he is still that Kante. He's still that guy. Moving on to the other fixture that was played this evening, which was between Bayern and Lazio. Um, of course, Bayern already comfortably in the lead from the first leg. It was a bit of a, a, a cruise control session for them um, in, in the second leg. Um, Lewandowski scored uh, a penalty in the 33rd minute that took his Champions League tally to 73 goals. And so now he's third in the list of all-time leading goal scorers in the Champions League, um, bettered only by Ronaldo and Messi. You know, so so great company he he's in. Um, and I know that we're gonna we're gonna dissect the game and, and, and you guys are gonna share your thoughts on that. But the other question that I wanted to ask you guys is where does Lewandowski rank among the best strikers in world football at this present moment in time? And the reason I ask is because despite his, you know, his phenomenal goal scoring feats, there are people that will argue that Harry Kane's the best striker in in, in the world right now. And we've even heard of of recent former players like Jurgen Klinsmann and, and Christian Vieri come out and state that Romelu Lukaku is the best striker in, in, in Europe. So where do you guys stand on that argument when it comes to the best striker in Europe on current form at this present moment in time? I think it has to be Lewandowski. I don't see why there's much of an argument. I think he was robbed of the Ballon d'Or last season. I think if you had to pick award winners this season, he will be right up there. For me, he's the best striker in the world and arguably the best player in the world right now. Completely mm. agree. I think, if anything, I know your question was about form right now, but really, if you're taking out Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi as sort of hybrid forward slash do whatever the hell they want players, Lewandowski is the best striker maybe we've seen since Brazilian Ronaldo. Like, in terms of just what he can do when he brings players into play, when he gets into the right positions, when he... He can head, he can do it with either foot, he can take penalties, fine, there's no bother. Like We never get to see him take free kicks, I'm certain he can do that. He can do a bit of everything. Like Nearly every other striker that we've seen, the world-class ones over the last like decade or so, 10, 15 years, there's always one kind of weakness. And I think what the one thing we don't talk about enough of Lewandowski is his longevity. He rarely misses games. He nearly always plays 30 to 33 Bundesliga games, if not the full 34. And I just think that if you think of the two best strikers to play in the Premier League in the last decade, Harry Kane and Sergio Aguero, they miss games all the time for injury. Even when Aguero was younger, he was missing games. And Kane's obviously got ankles that are made of 
it's like worse than glass. <laughs> so I just, I just, I just, I just think, I just think that at, Lewandowski is now into his thirties and it doesn't seem to, he, he's going at a rate quicker than ever. I mean, I know Bayern are dominant in Germany, but even still, he's, it's honestly frightening how good he is. And I think it's almost frightening how underappreciated he might be because he's coming at a terrible time in world football for himself because he's going to be, he's going to overlap with both the Ronaldo Messi era and the Haaland and Mbappe era. Mm. And I, I worry that in 10 or 15 years time, he will be the fifth or sixth or even like seventh or eighth name of the list when you talk about the great players from these sort of couple of decades. No, I would agree. Lewandowski, definitely the best striker right now, but everyone loves the shiny new object and obviously Mbappe, Holland are taking the plaudits, but over 50 goals last season. This season, he's closing in on 40 goals. And the biggest compliment I'll pay to him is when he's in front of goal, time stands still. And there's a real air of inevitability that he's going to finish the ball in the back of the net. So, yeah, definitely Lewandowski is the best striker right now. Mm. I think just one name to throw out there is Kareem Benzema. I think he's another player, you know, over the last 10 10 years that you Mm. have to put in that top, top bracket. And you can argue that he's been, you know, the best striker of the last 10 years, winning multiple Champions League, still the mainstay in that Real Madrid team was a great supplement to Ronaldo. Ronaldo is gone and now he's taken the baton of being the main man. I think this is another player that we need to put right next to Lewandowski as well. Yeah, I think Lewandowski, in terms of his finishing, out and out, when you look at a striker, they're judged by their goals. Obviously, Benzema, as you mentioned, played a foil to Cristiano Ronaldo. But I think when I watch Lewandowski, there's a real art to his finishing. Like, you can have a DVD mm. on all of the goals he scores because... Different finishes, poachers finishes, rockets, everything. It's got the full rocket on. So. <laughs> Most certainly, and I and appreciate that, um, Doc, because that that um, mention uh, of uh, Benzema certainly is a, a perfect segue into into the game um, yesterday between Madrid and Atalanta. Before that, I just wanted to uh, add add a final note on this Bayern game because. Super Moting scored the second goal. It was a great finish from a, a David Alaba uh, through pass. And the reason why I bring it up is because I remember previously, uh, Dej, um, you, you mentioned that, um, you, you know, we needed to give a round of applause to the uh, agent of Mario Mandzukic. <laughs> I think I think we need to give uh, an applause to the to the agent of Chupa Moting because how oh, he's managed man. to get all of these big moves from big club to big club. Honestly, that agent deserves a round of applause as well. <laughs> Deep diving on the game in particular. I mean, we already mentioned that it, it was pretty much cruise control for for Bayern, who didn't re- seem like they really had to get out of gear two or gear three. Um, how did you guys see it? Um, and, 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 you know, I'm guessing no particular uh, surprises for, from you guys on, on the game itself. Yeah, I think that game was a bit of a procession. I think Bayern Munich were in cruise control after their, you know, dominant first leg win. What I would say is that credit to Lazio because I thought they were going to get rolled over three or four today, but I think they gave a good game, you know, went out with dignity and there's no shame in losing to Bayern Munich. They're the champions. They're the best team in Europe. And I think Lazio can hold their heads up high. Yeah, we, we said at the time, didn't we? Like it was 
when the draw was made, you sort of you, there was a couple of tyres you knew weren't going to be very competitive, and this was one of them. Um, credit to Bayern for getting the job done. Obviously, Champions League is notorious for big names falling awkwardly at this stage. Um, for Lazio, it's a nice experience. They won't be back next season, so we'll, maybe maybe we'll see them in two or three years' time. Um, I guess with Bayern, it's it's again it's similar to Real Madrid. You just want to see them against a really top quality opposition. Obviously, they had the Classico a couple of weeks ago and they started slow, but obviously finished very strongly. Um, it's difficult to know where they are, really. I think the same with Real Madrid. Both of them have sort of been a bit below par in the league um, for their high standards. And you don't, when you're trying to predict the, the, the quarterfinals, you don't really know what you're going to get from them because theoretically, Bayern should be able to beat anyone, but they haven't been tested. Yeah, mm. to be fair, that was a box-ticking exercise for Bayern Munich. Um, for me, they're still the favourites. When I look at that team, Sane, Lewandowski, Inabri, Kimmich, Alaba, there's a whole host of names that, you know, have been in and around that top European level. And obviously winning the Champions League last season, I think it's going to, you know, the team that beats Bayern Munich will definitely win the Champions League because with them, there's no real surprises. They turn up, they do the job. And like most of their players in coming into their prime. So I think, yeah, Bayern Munich are still number one favourites for me. But what, what I would say is that we shouldn't be too fast to say Bayern Munich are the standout team. They're, you know, comfortably the best team in Europe. Because when you look at last season's Champions League, it wasn't two-legged. It was one game and out. And I think over two legs, I think this Bayern Munich can be got at. And we saw that in the final against PSG. So I wouldn't say... Like, okay, Bayern Munich are going to win the Champions League so easily. I think that they need to be tested. And I think if they do get tested, they can come unstuck. No, definitely. I, I agree. But I still make them favourites in terms of the tools they have to unlock defences. They've got the best strike in the world. We've already said that in Lewandowski. And the tools around him, I just think it's too much for the opposition. When I look at PSG, they've got chinks in their armour defensively. I'm not so sure. Yes, you've got Mbappe, Neymar. Other teams, or Manchester City, I've already spoken. Can they handle that crazy 10 minutes? You know, Liverpool have got question marks. So when I look around, I just think Bayern Munich have got the least of the question marks that are being asked to them, which make them the standouts, in my opinion. Real Madrid and Atalanta, of course, uh, Real Madrid, um, you know, wasn't particularly impressive in the first leg. Um, and, and, you know, basically put, got pulled over the line with a, a worldie from, from Ferland Mendy, the left back, but of course had um, some notable absentees back in the fold for, the, for this game. So Dot, you obviously mentioned um, Benzema, Valverde and Ramos were also back. And, and it, it did seem to lift the, the performance a little bit. Um, so what do you guys think about um, the, the overall game? Yeah, first 15 minutes, I thought Atalanta brought the heat. They had that big chance with Golsons that I thought he should have finished off. But after that, they sort of shot themselves in the foot. I mean, gifting Real Madrid some opportunities. And the one to Modric, you know, one of the coolest men in football under pressure to finish it off. And I think that was the theme of the game. Uh, Vinicius Junior, he had lots of space to run into. If his finishing was a lot cuter, you know, Real Madrid would have been out of sight. But I think... Real Madrid are one of the teams in the Champions League. I don't put them in that top one or two tiers. They'll be just underneath, but you can't discount them. Like, this is a team with massive experience. You still got Cruz, 
you still got Modric, and they can monopolise games. And I think to a certain extent, we saw that naivety against the experience and, and it paid off. But I just think against a team with higher energy, a City, a PSG, I think they might come up on stock. But, you know, fair play to Atlanta. They've shown over the past two years that they can compete at Champions League level, but they're not at that top table. And I think they were found out in that sense. I'm going to talk about another vertically challenged midfielder now. Because Luka Modric is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I, we talked about the Kante thing and how there was some speculation about his future, but it was legitimate like talk that Luka Modric was going to go this summer. In the winter, he was struggling. Fede Valverde came in and was playing unbelievably well. And you were actually in a situation where they were, Modric was making plans. Like, there was chat about going to into Miami to play for David Beckham's team. But in the last <laughs> three or four months, I think there's not many midfielders in the world who are playing better than Luka Modric at the age of 35. And like you talked earlier about, like, he's playing so well. What it's do you mean ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. Oh, I thought you said disagree. I thought you said disagree. <laughs> 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 um, no, honestly, like, I think I like, two or three years ago, um, Real Madrid started this little policy of buying some of the best young Spanish players in the world. Um uh, last year, before La Liga started up again, I wrote something about how they deserved a lot of praise for the sort of their forward thinking. And that was all rubbish because their best players this season are Ramos, Benzema and Modric, along with Thibaut Courtois. And I guess the only one you could say who's under 30 and playing at the top of his game is Casemiro. He's bailing them out week in, week out. But he's remarkable how these players who... Who've just been there? It's, it's what it's what they said. It's experience. They've been there. They know what they're doing. They've won so many Champions League titles. And Atalanta were poor. And like I thought, they were disappointing. But I just think there's a, there's a lot of know-how in that team, and I'm really interested to see how they fare when they come up against I don't know, like a Liverpool or a Chelsea, and just when they're faced with that sort of challenge. Because right now they haven't really been tested as much as you'd want them to be. But it's they are such a Fascinating club to watch all the time. No, definitely. I put them in that bracket below the PSGs, Bayern Munich, and Manchester City. I see them as more of a Liverpool, a Chelsea, a Real Madrid. They have the tools, but are they going to be able to bring all the tools together and deliver the biggest results against the best teams? But I just think Atalanta, I was really, really disappointed because I said it last week. I thought this was a 50-50 tie. And I feel if they attack the game properly they could have potentially knocked out Real Madrid but I think they got caught up in the moment and I think they couldn't just handle the pressure and the occasion of the massive game and they played the name Real Madrid instead of the actual team Real Madrid that we see on a, on a weekly basis in terms of some of the goals I mean defensively they were just shocking I mean that penny you're just leaving out a lazy leg like begging for a penny and the, the players pleading saying no it's outside the box when you can clearly see it's on the line so I think some of the the errors that Atalanta made, they'll, they'll be really disappointed with themselves. I'll ask a question. Um, so last week we talked about Cristiano Ronaldo and we said that the experiments failed. At what stage do we start calling the Eden Hazard signing a failure? And it's for yeah. very different, it's, it's for very different yeah. reasons, obviously. Very different reasons. And it's, as someone who watched Hazard, but I watched him when he was in France and I obviously watched him a lot when he was at Chelsea, I feel so bad for him because... He's unbelievable how many injuries he's gone through. And yes, there are definitely question marks about the way he looks after his body, for sure. But like, even still, I just think it was his dream to play for Real and to play for Zidane. And he 
he must he must know now that he made that mistake in whatever must have been 2018 when he decided to stay one more year that was it he had to go then and he didn't and he stayed for one more year because he knew he'd be cheaper and he's that injuries just completely ruining him at this stage yeah he was meant to be that player that replaced the Ronaldo Bell and it just hasn't worked out so far and I remember we spoke to Christian Cabasele on our podcast um, obviously Belgium international and I sort of asked him like people in football sort of question his temperament has he got that devilment to take his game on another level and Cab sort of said that he enjoys football you know when you speak about Messi, Ronaldo these are machines, numbers they want to put teams to the sword, whereas mm. Eden Hazard's probably got different motivations for playing football. So I just think, yeah, the signing hasn't worked out so far. And obviously time's probably running out because he's getting on a bit. And obviously Real Madrid are doing just fine without him. Yeah, I was one of the few people that said that, you know, this signing wouldn't work out. I don't, I don't see Eden Hazard as that Real Madrid player. I don't think he's got that aggression to just continue to score goals and score goals and score goals. And another player that I said will will not work out is Anton Griezmann to Atletico Madrid because I see them as like that similar type where they're really, really good players, but do they have that motivation to be the best they can be? Whereas someone like a Neymar or Cristiano Ronaldo or a Lionel Messi, they have that drive to keep going and keep going and be relentless all the time. And I think to be that superstar at Real Madrid or Barcelona, you need to be able to go again and be a killer, should I say, every single week. And I don't think Eden Hazard is that. For sure. I think someone like Salah as well, he's got that mentality that I want to put teams to the, to the sword. I want to get my numbers up. And Eden Hazard, he more just plays for fun, which is not a bad thing. But when you're at Real Madrid, you're judged on numbers. And we all know how the press is out there. Like if you're not delivering, they'll call you out. They'll put you in marker and they'll rate you one out of 10. So that's how it is. It's weird though, because like, <laughs> when, he, when, he when the move came out, obviously he didn't give any quotes because that's not how this game works. And like, But the reports were there that he didn't like the intensity of the Premier League and he wanted to get to Spain. It'd be sunnier it'd be, and he thought it'd be a more relaxed environment. I can't believe that anyone's watched Real Madrid over the last five years and think it's a relaxed environment. Like it is, it is a club that is built to win. And I know Chelsea's a stressful place. Look, you're like, you you go you come in on a Monday morning, you might have a different manager. Like it's a difficult place. But I just can't believe that he thought he was going to have a chill time there and like just chill out on the beach and then knock up and like stick five past Elche. Like a La Liga is getting more competitive. It's probably. <laughs> In some regards, it's probably more competitive in the Premier League and now in the way that these smaller teams are attacking Real Madrid and Barcelona. And B, as you, as you guys said, the press is relentless there. Like, it's so hard. Like, in England, there's about six or seven big clubs who everyone cares about. In Spain, it is just two. Like Despite Atletico Madrid, it's just two clubs. And I just, I don't know. I, as I said earlier, I just think it, there was a move for him there. And I think he could have done it, but I think he had to be a bit younger. I think... The years he had under Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte sucked a little bit of the life out of him because you could tell how miserable he was there. Like he didn't, like he didn't, he didn't even care that he was winning. Like he just, he just hated how he'd like he was being asked to track back and like chase this right back back. He but that's not what he wants to do. He just wants to kick a ball around and just dribble past people for fun. Like he doesn't even care about scoring. He just, yeah. he just, he just, he just loves, he just loves football, and he does. This isn't, this isn't the move for him. Like I think, I don't. I'll be interested to see what happens. I don't think he'll go anywhere this summer, but I think next summer is going to be very interesting. 
And I think very, very last one on this. I mean, when you start your new job, you're meant to go in there and hit the ground running, but he went in there overweight. And I think when you start like that, it's only going to end one way. And unfortunately, it's, it's not ending well for Eden Hazard. Yeah, I think certainly the, the Eden Hazard situation is one that will be interesting for us to keep an eye on because, of course, when you consider the finances across all of the top leagues in Europe and, and the fact that you know no club really has a huge amount um, to spend, of course, clubs are going to have to be very, very weary and mindful of how they manage their resources and you know the kind of bid that it would take to, to, to get Eden Hazard out of... Um, Real Madrid, for example, would, would, would be an astronomical fee. Um, I suppose the only ounce of hope that I still have is in uh, a similar story. Um, and and, and it's, it's interesting because earlier on we were speaking about uh, Luka Modric, Pete. And I remember when he first joined Real Madrid, he had quite a difficult time of it as well. And I remember Marker and all of the publications talking about him being the, 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 the flop of the, of the season and, and not being a particularly great signing. And a few years on, you know, he, he's become such, such an integral part of that Real Madrid team. So we can only hope that um, Eden Hazard also is, is able to, to follow in those kind of footsteps. Of course, it's, it's been difficult and, and he's partially to blame for, for, you know, some of his misfortunes, of, of course. Um, but we, you know, we, we certainly hope that, that there is enough time for him to turn things around and, and change his fortunes at the club, most certainly. Manchester City in, in, in their game against Manchester Gladbach. Um, I mean, you know, 2-0 from the first leg. Um, really, they just needed to turn up and complete the 90 minutes more, more than anything. Um, we saw some really, really good passages of play. Kevin De Bruyne with that sumptuous finish with his with his left foot, um, and then and then and then Phil Foden's assist for uh, you know, I, I think that was that was that was great. I know Dot, you love uh, you know those players that that can receive the ball on the on the half turn and and then a little no look pass. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, how did you guys find find that game? What, what, was it again? No real um, eyebrows raised from your perspective. Yeah, again, that was a case of dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, it was sort of like a heavyweight versus a bantamweight, like <laughs> winching Gladbach, you know. <laughs> you know, no match, you know. Like, you sort of even felt sorry for them at a stage. They were looking around at times thinking, oh, come on, like, we just can't compete. And football's about levels. And I think Manchester City showed their, you know, miles above that level and, these aren't the games that are problem for Manchester City. It's the games against a Dortmund. If they play a Dortmund, I can see them causing them problems. But just to speak about the game briefly, as you mentioned, this was about the artistry in football. You know, if you're a football connoisseur, if you love your football, you should watch this game. And I think Manchester City, you know, showed what they're about. You know, interchanging in play, great passing patterns defensively decent, although they did have moments, you know, Munching Gladbach had their mm. moments and you just wonder, that's my one rebuttal when it comes to Manchester City in the Champions League, those moments where better players and more clinical teams will, will put them to the sword. But again, we didn't expect anything different than a, a comprehensive, you know, Manchester City performance. And I think the second half was just about preserving some energy because I think Munching Gladbach knew they were beaten. Manchester City knew they were beat. So, yeah. 
tell you what, it's bad news if Kevin De Bruyne has got his range back. I mean, for everyone else, like, I mean, it's been we haven't really seen that. In his first season or two at City, he was thumping them in from everywhere, and then he sort of obviously took on more of a playmakery role. But if he's going to start smashing them in with both feet from 25 yards out, he might as well pack up and go home. Honestly, what's the point? I mean, I think the other the other key takeaway from this game for me was that if Phil Foden isn't starting for England at the Euros, it's only because he's injured. Other than that, he has to be starting. He, there are a few English players right now playing as good as him. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Gareth Southgate uses him, whether he plays him as one of those wider forwards or whether he tries him deeper. Because I think we all think that that will be the long-term aim for Foden as he comes deeper and sort of plays, I don't know, not quite not quite a Xavi or a Busquets role, but maybe like an Iniesta type thing where he's sort of facilitating the ball forward a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, you feel for Gladbach. It's not, that's not, when, that's not what they needed. I mean, you could see it in their faces. None of them actually did it, but you wouldn't have forgiven them for laughing when De Bruyne scored that goal. That's <laughs> <laughs> just not fair. But I guess, the, yeah, as, as they said now, the question mark is, can they do it um, in the bigger games? For me, they're my favourites. I think, I understand what they're just saying. I completely agree. Until they do it, you can't look past like the game against Spurs or the Leon game. You, you can't ignore that because that's the that's what we that's the data that we have available. But this season, they've looked like the best team in Europe for pretty much the entire season, bar that slow slowish start. So for me, if I'm picking a team right now, I'm picking them. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> certainly an interesting one. Um, I think also, I, I certainly have to agree with you, Pete, in, in that Foden's got to be on that plane. And, and, he's, and, and I certainly would have him in my starting 11. I, I'd probably play him more central because I think for me, Grealish has to start on the left. Just, just my personal point of view. Um, but I think it is uh, a selection headache that is, is a certainly a good one. Um, and, you know, got really, really good chances of, of, of picking a very, very interesting and, and very talented squad this, this time round. So we'll have to wait and see um, what, ha- what happens on that front. The other thing I wanted to, uh, to, to touch on, uh, uh, on uh, the side of Gladbach in particular, is um, a, a point that I made before about the whole uh, making announcements like prior to things happening. Um, and... I just did a bit of research and on the point about Marco Rose joining Dortmund, the the announcement was on the 15th of February. And since that date, um, Gladbach have played six games and lost all six. Fair play. Two of them were against uh, Manchester City in the Champions League. But within the Bundesliga, they've obviously played four. Two of two of those um, games, they lost against teams that were lower than them in the league. And they're currently languishing in 10th in, in place. They, it seems like they're just in a bit of a grey space. Um, I mean, they, they've, they've, you know, gained enough points that they're not going to get relegated. And, and, and I mean, they're, they're too far off the pace at, at the top end of the table to do anything major. So it's just like they're in this, this no man's land um, and, and heading to nowhere, really, uh, which, is, which is quite disappointing. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, who are the winners from Borussia Mönchengladbach making this announcement early? And it sort of leaves the players in a perilous position because you're working and you know your manager's not going to be there next season. So where do you get that motivation to do mm. your job kind of thing? And it's similar to Dyer Upper Meccano, 
who we've seen. And he's put in a few strange performances since he's moved what to Bayern Munich has been announced. So I just think maybe it's coincidence, but I'm sure announcements like that, it doesn't help you, in my opinion. But the players will know, won't they? Like, obviously, if it's not reported, like, you, you're not, like, even if you're not completely clued into what's going on at your club, like, everyone, everyone's got a good idea about office politics or whatever job you're doing. And I think even if it hadn't been officially announced, everyone knows Dortmund looking for a new manager. Everyone knows they wanted Marco Rose the first time Jurgen Klopp stepped away. And it would leak out, within at least internally, that Marco Rose was going to depart at the end of the season. So I think that... I, yeah, I, yeah. obviously the announcement doesn't help because I think then it dominates the news cycle in the sense of every time they lose a game, the players are going to be asked about whether this has affected them. Whereas if it's not been officially confirmed, I feel like when it's not officially confirmed, the press aren't really as keen to talk to the players about it because it's a little bit of a grey area if there's no sort of like official confirmation, especially when Dortmund have still got an interim manager in, in that sense and there's no confirmation from their end. So I think... I can under- I can sort of see why they've tried to do it, just to control the news cycle. But I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a bad situation. I think overall, like I just don't I don't like the idea of managers agreeing to jobs when they're still mm. in another job. I feel mm. like you've got to wait to the end of the season. I think in some other sports you can see there's like a grey area where you can't talk to coaches because they're involved in their current job, and then you can wait to the end of the season. I mean, for Dortmund as well, like I, I don't understand. It doesn't. Does it make any? I don't think it makes any difference, does it? Like with the Pep Guardiola thing, I think it was a bit different when he was announced he was going to Manchester City because he's a he's like an actually like a lure. Like you are going to use Pep Guardiola to sign players, but I don't think there's many players out there who are like dying. And there's no, no disrespect to Marco Rose because he's done a terrific. <laughs> this is going to come across as so disrespectful, and I'm so sorry. But I don't think there are many players out there who are dying to play for Marco Rose. <laughs> and, and, and as harsh as that sounds, I just think that. Both sides could have quietly made a little agreement under the table and just kept it at boardroom level and just mm. kept it between the Dortmund CEO, the Gladbach CEO and, and Marco Rose. And at the end of the season, you can make the announcement. For whatever reason, either they feared it was going to leak or they wanted to control the news cycle. Mm. It's made things a lot messier now. And I just think that maybe, I know it's not high on the priority list of football roles, but maybe we need to try and look at how we, how we consider manager movement. And it's the same for players as well. Like I think... It's always a bit weird when you when you you're playing like ten or fifteen games. I mean, RB Leipzig are chasing the Champions League again, and like Dian Meccano's like just playing for Bayern Munich. Technically, he's now Bayern Munich player. Like, I don't know. I think we need to look at this a little bit because something needs to change. Hundred percent. Got got to agree with you on that, Pete. Um, I think the in, the the other interesting point around this is just some of the uh, the the sellable assets for Gladbach in. You know, people like um, and, and players like Marcus Taram and Briel Mbolo. Of course, there's been some you know uh, news doing the rounds about them potentially getting moves away from the club. So it'd be again something interesting to to, to keep tabs on in 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 the next transfer window, most certainly. Cool. Right. Okay. So we're going to leave it there. Those were the games of this round. Of course, the. Um, the, the 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 draw for the quarterfinals is going to be happening on on Friday, so we'll of course uh, wait uh, with, with bated breath to see who draws who. 
Um, and I think, you know, certainly based on, on, on those fixtures, we could get some very, very tasty matchups. I want Porter. Uh, in the next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told you, Porter are dangerous. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have, to, we'll have to certainly wait and see. Watch this space. Um, so thank you very much, guys. Thanks for sharing your, your, your thoughts and your views. And thank you to everybody who's listened in up until this point. We'll be back again in the next round of fixtures. Until then, over and out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 